Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, everyone. We have a really special guest today. Julie and I both read her book in under 24 hours because it's just that good. (laughs) Please join me in welcoming Nandini Bajpai. We're in for a treat today. Um, Nandini and I met years ago at a SCBWI conference. I remember sitting in one of those small group breakouts with you and having you read and just being like, wow. Like I was blown away. I think even back then I knew we'd be here today, reading your book and chatting about your amazing blossoming career. Love that you knew it then. I did know it then. I was like, wow, it's amazing. You know, Julie, I was so nervous that day because I didn't really feel comfortable reading my manuscript. I don't even remember what it was. But I remember I was really nervous about being at Whispering Pines, reading it in front of all these people who were Mm. great writers. Mm. (laughs) I'm glad you liked it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And I think it's so interesting sometimes when someone nails a first page, which you did back then, regardless of whether that manuscript was sold or not. It's just like you had such command of language. And it's so exciting to announce your new novel, Sister of the Bollywood Bride. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's so much fun. So Tell us how long, let's just go back though, because I'm not sure I know the whole story. Okay. How long have you been writing? Oh, goodness. At least 10 years, probably before then. Seriously, at least for 10 years. I really started when my kids were in elementary school and now they're in college. (laughs) So it's been a journey, but I wanted to write for them because I couldn't find any books that had their experience in it. And I had the same you know, problem when I was growing up, I was an avid reader, but there was nothing out there that reflected my life experience. Mm. So that's why I wanted to write. So it's been a while. Can you just give us a brief summary of the book? I loved it so much. Julie and I read it so fast. It's such a fun read. (laughs) The characters are so vivid. And you get to watch this teenage girl take on a challenge that's hard for most adults and succeed in such a really incredible way. So uh, Sister of the Bollywood Bride is about a young girl called Minnie. She and her sister lost their mother when uh, she was much younger. And now her older sister is getting married. And if you know anything about Indian weddings, they're big, complicated, and lots of fun. (laughs) And usually it's the mother of the bride doing a lot of the planning, and they didn't have their mom. But Minnie wants to make sure that her older sister has the wedding that their mother would have planned. There is that thread of coming to terms with her mother's death even years later. Even though it's a really fun book, it does have that element in it of Minnie trying to make sense of losing her mom. But most of it is wedding planning, just trying to make this thing happen. It's a teenager who's trying to plan a big fat Indian wedding in America. What could possibly go wrong? Everything. Thing and included in which is a huge hurricane that actually reaches New England, which is very mm-hmm. 
Oh, but in fact, this happened with my sister-in-law's wedding, and that's oh. where the inspiration of the book is from. It was Hurricane Irene in 2011. Oh gosh, I remember Hurricane Irene. Oh, <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> I just I loved the moment when Minnie is at her tutoring job, and everyone realizes what this girl is trying to put together herself, and everyone steps in saying, "I know a caterer. I know a decorator." And <laughs> I, that was one of many moments in the book that just made me feel like. Yes, she's dealing with a lot of hard things, but her community is amazing. I really did want that to come through. And not just her Indian American community, but her local town community, her friends from school, her neighbors, everybody steps up for her. This is something I have experienced in my life because like I said, my sister-in-law's wedding was targeted by Hurricane Irene. It literally showed up that day and a lot of the things that happened were things that we had to do. And I thought about what if it was a young girl and there was no mom and there was no other support. I have lots of nieces and nephews and I just felt some of the kids that I know could really just pull it off. They could just pull it off and they would do it better probably than what we guys were trying to do. Can you read us page one? Sure. And just to let you know, this is my debut novel in India with Scholastic India. The Indian edition was called Red Turban, White Horse. And uh, so it goes back a long time. And I really love that it's finally been released in the U.S. So anyway, here is Sister of the Bollywood Bride. This is chapter one. The silver key resting on my palm looked pretty ordinary but what it unlocked was not. I dropped it back into a tiny envelope that read customer key box number 311 and handed it to the teller. You'd like to open your safe deposit box? The bank teller's eyebrows shot up at my request. It clearly wasn't every day a teenager asked for access to the bank vault. Yes, thanks. I tucked a strand of hair behind one ear, acting casual, though my heart was pounding like a Punjabi dhol. Follow me, please. The teller came around the counter and led the way to the other end of the small lobby. Who knew our little Bank of America branch in Westbury, Massachusetts even had a proper bank vault, like in a heist movie or something? This is kind of the first scene. It was a little different in the Indian edition, but you wouldn't know that unless you read both. So not Bank of America, for example. No, oh no, everything was the same. It was worded differently. I just tweaked a little. You know, it's interesting. We talk about tension and grounding at the same time mm -hmm. in first pages. And that's the thing that we see in a lot of first pages that you know, maybe sometimes doesn't go off. And I feel like you just had the perfect balance of like, why does she have a key? What's in the box? Mm -hmm. How is she holding herself? Of this is really capable and casual, but scary, uncertain too. And then something really important is going to happen. And you just pulled us so beautifully through that. Was that, did, was that your first draft? Was that an original opening or did you have to work to get that? I think that there is just this connection between mothers and daughters in, I think, in every culture. And in the Indian culture, there is this connection with handing heirlooms down from mother to daughter. And the jewelry was a big part of why Minnie decided she had to go the extra mile and pull this thing off for her sister because their mother who passed away seven years ago had left her daughters 
jewelry both had been passed down to her from her mother and also some that she had designed and made and left for them for their mm-hmm. weddings so i wanted to really start with that that is a motivation because she finds that her mother had left this jewelry for her sister's wedding there is no way this is just going to be a two people civil ceremony i'm going to pull this thing off and i i don't know it just felt like that emotional connection was there and i wanted to start with that it just there was no other scene that i wanted to start with more than this one it just spoke to me I love the notes that came with the jewelry. I thought that was a really sweet and elegant way. My favorite one was, this is junk, sell it if you girls ever need money. (laughs) Right. Right. People lose earrings all the time. Then you're left with one gold earring. What are you going to do with it? It has value. And I think it's so interesting how this is the first of many moments when Minnie has to act like an adult. Like, I love how you described how she dressed up to go down to the hotel, the first one, and look at the venue and ask all these big questions. Yes, and her hair blown out. She's so nervous, but she's trying to pull it off. Like I said, I have three sisters. My mother had four sisters. So I come from a long line of pretty strong women. And uh, I've seen my nieces so many times. My own daughter was much younger at that time when I wrote this, but I could imagine them being able to pull anything off. Oh, Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to have the book published in India first and then here? It was amazing because, you know, I grew up in Delhi and I moved to Australia when I was in my early 20s. So my whole reading, writing, hometown, all of that grounding stuff was in Delhi. So it just felt right to have it out there first. And I had an amazing team of editors, the marketing people, Scholastic was amazing. We had a multi-city tour and all my uncles and aunts could come. My younger sister could come. It was amazing. My kids were there. My husband was there. So it felt like my whole family could be there. And celebrate with me. In fact, in the US, it's always just me and I have to like Skype them in or Zoom them in or whatever to to be able to share that moment. But in India, I could actually share it. So it felt great. When did you find out it was going to be published here? Oh, my first book to be published in the U.S. was A Match Made in Mendy, which came out in 2019. Mm -hmm. And my editor at Little Brown knew that I had a book that had been published in India, and she took a look at it, and she really just loved it. And she thought that it would be a really good follow-up to A Match Made in Mendy, and uh, has a similar vibe. It's an Indian-American teen. There is uh, a lot of family. So she just loved it. And she's like, okay, let's go with this. And I had the rights available. Worldwide rights had reverted back to me. So I was able to do that. Yeah, I knew in 2020 is when we sold it. I think the announcement was at the end of 2020, and it was out a year later. Well, it's such a nice antidote to everything we've been feeling the past year. It's such an mm-hmm. uplifting fun, hopeful story. I know. I was just thinking that I didn't realize you had another one out. And isn't that funny? I feel like we've all been in such echo chambers. You're like, I don't know how I missed it. So congratulations on that. Can you give us the name on the other book as well? It's A Match Made in Mendy. That was the first one that also came out with Little Brown. It's this one. The paperback came out last year. Oh, it's beautiful. This is the both Amazing. of them. I know that we are doing a podcast and nobody can actually see this. <laughs> Everyone, they're gorgeous. Go look them up. <laughs> and the audiobook is really good too. So. Mm-hmm. 
Speaking yeah. of the audiobook, can you talk to us about how you found your wonderful narrator? Because I just love it. She performs the story. She oh doesn't my God. just read She's it. She's amazing. I just loved her. So I can take zero credit for finding her. It was my editor and the Hachette audio team that found her. And she was perfect. Like I only knew about after the recording was done and I actually heard it. I didn't know before. I can take no credit. I just got lucky. <laughs> the audiobook for Sister of the Bollywood Bride won Earphone Award with Audiophile Magazine. And not for anything I did, but Sunila Nankani's narration. So she was the narrator for the audiobook and she won an award and the book won an award for the audiobook. And honestly, you have to hear it. It's amazing. Well deserved. I agree. <laughs> So I'm so curious about your writing day. Do you goal set? Do you have a specific time? Tell us how you're accomplishing this great word count. I, I don't really have a typical writing day. I also do writing for educational publishing. So that is generally my routine is if uh, I have a deadline for them and I have to do some writing for that work. But my creative writing for my novels, that is so different depending on where I am in the writing process. Am I just thinking about it? Am I drafting? Am I revising? Is it under contract? Do I have a deadline? Clearly, if I have a deadline, I'm working on it all the time. But if I'm at the early stage of a book and I'm just trying to feel out the idea, a lot of it might just be thinking about it and writing notes and doing like Google research, going down some rabbit hole and not actually getting words on the page. But when I'm committed to getting a draft done by a certain time, then I'm very focused and I will just be looking at the word count and trying to get the word count out. And uh, I'm more of a pantser. About halfway through the book, I'll take stock and I will try and figure out what my outline is then <laughs> because otherwise it'll just be a hot mess. And I tend to start anywhere in the story and just work my way backwards or forwards from whatever it is that is inspiring me. So like I said, it varies a lot and it depends on where I am, what stage I am with that manuscript. Or multiple manuscripts. I like how you describe your pantsing process because it makes me think of all the sewing that happens in the book and how it's almost like you try on the pants and pin them <laughs> and then make sure they fit and then keep going. That's so interesting. <laughs> so here's a cloth. I like the fabric. I like the color. Let's just make this work. Do we like this fit? Do we like the silhouette? Let's change it up. Let's cut it. Change the hem. Do you make clothes yourself i am not that handy with like dressmaking uh -huh. is that something that you can do is that something that just landed in your manuscript yeah. and you're like oh there it is i have to deal with that my mom sewed for us she had four girls in india and she was very creative she had a great eye for color and everything and in india you tailor or at least when I was growing up, you could tailor a lot of your clothes. You know, back to school was you go and buy the fabric and you pick your designs and you have the tailor make it for you. Even though we didn't wear clothes to school that were not uniform, we wore a uniform to school. But still, you didn't buy off the rack in India as much when I was growing up. So my mom was always sewing and she really had fun with it. And one of my sisters is a designer she doesn't have the business going anymore. But when I was growing up, she did. And I can sew because I learned 
from watching my mom. And actually last year I did so much sewing because of the pandemic. I made mm. mask after mask after mask and scrub cap after scrub cap for Brigham and, you know, Mass General and any of the hospitals. Our town was doing this. So I can sew and I can do alterations, which is great. <laughs> it is very great. useful. It's a very useful skill to have. <laughs> The moment when she cut the slice out of that embroidered silk, I was like, oh, be careful. <laughs> you know how much work goes into embroidering that? It's like hand embroidered by craftspeople over months. And she was just like hacking through it. I love when they were like, but who designed it? It's just like this, but this other detail is different. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like May Fashion Week. It's fun to follow all the wedding fashions out of India. I love this about your book. I feel like you brought me into your family and I was swept away with it. And I yeah. feel like your characters were so real. And this is a question that Jessica's like, this is a spoiler. I'm like, it's not. I want to know. <laughs> Do you have characters here that we're going to see again? Because I feel like these uh -huh. are characters that there was so much, this is like a slice of life with them. And I almost wanted more. Are, you, yeah. are they floating around out there still? They're floating around in my head. Now, if they ever <laughs> see another book, really depends on how this book does and what my editor thinks and all of that. But I remember when Scholastic had this book out, I had a whole bunch of kids write to me from India saying, you know, what happens next? We want to know, like, Minnie and Veer, what happened? So I actually wrote a little short little chapter for them. Oh, that's uh, nice. Just before her prom and she was going to go to India for the summer and finally see her aunt and work with her in her design, whatever. And it was so much fun writing that. And I had released it in little stages on uh, Scholastic oh, India for the kids to be able to follow. But I definitely have ideas in my head. Now, what happens to them? I was going to do like mini in Mumbai and then mini and all of that stuff, oh. like little short little stories for the kids, which could be expanded. But it really depends. A lot of that is out of my control. Can you talk a little about the things you've learned about characterization along the way? Because your characters are so lovely. Just all of them together. Every character is so different. They're quirky. They're funny. They're warm. They're sweet. They work together. Even when there's a misunderstanding, it's really nice to see how that's resolved. How did you add all those layers there? Because I feel like that's rare. And honestly, I don't know. I guess I just pull from life and pull from what I see around me. And I'm lucky enough to have people like that in my life. And it's great to share them. So it's not like I've done a copy and paste of somebody who exists in my life. No, but you take mannerisms and incidents and just things you observe and you layer them into the characters that you have. When I was a teenager, I never had those kind of stories that showed my family and the incidents that I could see around me in books. And I love like Meg Cabot and things like that. And where's my Meg Cabot? There was none. Yeah. So where were the cute, happy rom-coms? Yeah. I make no apologies about writing happy, fluffy books. And sure. there were none. There were zero. Because even in India, the books that we had, publishing was in its infancy in India. It was a developing country. The publishing industry was very small. And everything we read was imported from England or the US or Europe. I love those books. I love seeing the British books and the American books. And when I moved here, I didn't feel like a stranger because I had read about these characters. I'd walked in their shoes and I didn't feel that these 
people and cities and customs were strange. So that's the magic of books, right? right. So it's nice to be able to reverse that and share my life and my family and the things I know with readers. I learned so much and I found I started to Google some things. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, and I know I'm watching some of the pronunciations, the uh-huh. Masi, the auntie, the, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was, I thought that was so interesting. I was like, is it a real aunt? Is it a, is it like a spiritual aunt? I mean, I think <laughs> the, but learning about just the different traditions from the different regions and how yeah. they're all like ripping off of those yeah, um, yeah, and the names of the relatives and everything else. And it unfolded like on a comprehension level, you could just figure it out. It was like very understandable while still learning. And that was remarkable to me, just the the balance that you gave. So was that important to you to give us just enough? Or did you just put in what your perception was? Like, I'm not even sure I'm asking this correctly. No, it makes total sense. It is an important question. And especially since the first edition of this book was published in India. And I didn't want to over explain because everybody knew what I was talking about when it came to customs, when it came to all these things that are new to you. They were not new to the readers in India. In fact, I had to over explain some of the American things about cars and about, you know. All kinds of different little things. When we edited the book for the US edition, I had to actually add a little more explanation, but I pushed back and did not want to add too much explanation because then you lose the spontaneity of the moment and the dialogue when you're always explaining that if you use a term, by the way, it means this. It's like a footnote Mm -hmm. in dialogue and that just, you lose the... I don't know, just the organic feel of what the dialogue should be or what the narration should be. So I didn't want to over-explain. And you have to trust your reader that they'll figure it out. And if they really don't understand, they can look it up. We have Google. So you just have to trust that people will figure it out. You know, when I was growing up and I was reading Enid Blyton and Nancy Mm, Drew, I didn't Google things. I looked them up in the library or asked (laughs) someone like, what is this cone exactly? I don't know. What does it taste like? Things like that. So... Now, if you have to figure out what a samosa tastes like, you can look it up. Like I looked up a scone. So <laughs> it's fine. I think actually, instead of Googling that, people should go get one because they're delicious. Samosas yes. are delicious. I oh, agree. I yeah, I just wanted to say, I think you made it all incredibly clear in a really graceful way. And I didn't realize that they're talking for a moment about how it's different that the groom is from southern India. Yes, he was a Tamil Brahmin. And she was Punjabi. These are regional differences. It's like being from the East Coast or the West Coast. The mm-hmm. people from the East Coast think we are better. And people from <laughs> California might think we are better. And really everyone is fine. But it's told from the point of view characters, Punjabi. So clearly it would be different if the groom's sister was writing this. Or it was from her point of view. But everyone's just fine. So, <laughs> it But fine. it's interesting. What? One of the things that I didn't know, and then I was interested in what they had dessert. Explain, oh. like what, like I was like, oh, oh the laddus, yeah, yes, the like, moti chuka laddus. Is it like a nugget? So, it's uh, okay, okay. So do you know chickpea flour? It's called yes. besan. It's basically chickpeas ground up into flour, right? So you make a paste out of them and you put it through this sieve almost, and straight into hot oil, and so it fries up into these tiny little bead-sized bites. And that goes directly into the syrup. 
mm-hmm. and soaks. So once it's soaked, the syrup, so it's sweet. It's these like a little bead size. Moti means bead. The name for it, moti chur, is like bead, pearl, pearl, really. And so it soaks up the syrup and then you just roll it into or just clench it in your fist and make it into little laddus. Laddus is like a little round sphere with all this stuff and then you can eat it. My mother-in-law makes them from scratch. In India, you generally just buy them. It's like making your own chocolate. But in the US, when she moved here in the early 70s, you couldn't buy these things. So she made everything from scratch and hers tastes so much better, honestly. Mm. And she did make the moti laddus for my sister-in-law's wedding. Oh Instead of cake, we had that and pyramid. Isn't that interesting? That's what makes these stories so important. Like, I was like, I must eat that. <laughs> I must eat that. It's better when you it's know? homemade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's just... very sweet if you buy it from the store. Hers is always lighter. Yeah, I always think there's something interesting between, like, when you have, and you had music, and you also had food in the book, which especially, and we're not going to talk about the end, read the book. <laughs> But by just having those things and having that, I felt it was movie worthy. And just, can you talk about how you created that feeling of like elevation at the end as you like move through the climax of your book? Did you listen to music? Were you like writing (laughs) sonically? What did you do to lift us up? You know, honestly, I lived through something like this. Again, you're pulling from life. But then when you're writing, when you're taking inspiration from something that happened and you're putting it in a book, you do want to keep the rising tension and all of that stuff. And I don't know, you just write it and then you work with the tension and the flow and you polish it and you read it out loud and you have beta readers. And I don't know, it's a process, but... It didn't take me that long. The other parts of the book took me longer. But by the time we got to the end, it was all just coming together and I knew where it was going. So it was not hard for me to write that piece. Mm. It's usually the middle that is hard. The end, everything is just flowing. You're trying to land it. It's, you're flipping through the end. You just have to stick the landing like in, in the gymnast too. <laughs> it's more the launch when you're trying to just make the leap. <laughs> So you spoke about the middle and you spoke about being a pantser and stopping and assessing. So do you find your revisions usually in the center? Do you have to move back to the beginning? What's revision look like for you? I just start writing wherever you get one scene comes to you first, right? Like usually there's some character or some scene or some incident that speaks to you and you work from that and you go backward or forward or wherever you need to go. And when you have a certain amount of stuff written, at least that's my process, then I can start seeing where this is going. And okay, this is going to sound really stupid, but you know how everybody has a way of trying to look at the outline? I actually take sheets of paper, tape them together and make this huge roll down my hallway. And I write like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And then I start like filling it in. Okay, what happens next? What happens next? And then I like highlight the characters. Okay, we have this character in this chapter or this scene or whatever. And I stand back and look at it. It's very visual. And I'll even print out things like a dress or a place or something Mm -hmm. and tape it onto my sheet. And when my kids see that thing go up, they're like, okay, she's actually onto something. This thing is going to get finished. Because if I don't get... That's so funny because... I was like, oh, she's got good kids. My kids would be messing with my line. <laughs> they can't, can't <laughs> scramble it up for no. 
I was like, her kids are so nice. My- <laughs> they were like, oh my God, they just roll their eyes and walk away. This is actually going over light switch, mom. Do you realize that? <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, just cut a flap and, you know, <laughs> turn it on or something. But I'm just very visual. And, and then you realize that, okay, this doesn't need to be there. This doesn't need to be there. And then when you're writing it down, you remember, oh, wow, that doesn't work. I should go back and cut that. Or, oh, by the way, this thread needs to be picked up here. So you just follow along all the storylines, all the characters, and try and figure out where you need to tighten things. Can you tell us a little bit about your process, finding an agent and publishers? So mine is a very complicated story. So everyone has their own journey, right? So when I started writing, I was writing short stories for magazines and things like that. And the first novel that I completed, I actually, uh, you know, had a query at SCBWI conference and the editor asked for it back and I sent it to her. Nothing. So then meanwhile, I started writing a YA historical and that is the one that I finished and I got an agent for in the US. So BookCon 2014 is when We Need Diverse Books happened. That's when it started. My historical was finished before then. I got an agent before then. The book only went out to, I think, maybe four or five editors. And one of them loved it, asked for revisions. We went back and finally she didn't pick it up. And then my agent just, you know, said, I don't think there's any chance of this thing getting picked up. Why don't we part ways? That was my first experience, which wasn't great. And then I published in India where you do not need an agent. You can submit directly to editors. And I worked with two different publishers there, Scholastic India and Rupa, which is an Indian publisher who's very well known there. And then I ended up working with Packager in the U.S. called Cake Literary. They specialize in diverse uh, storylines, and they had an idea and that they wanted me to write, and that was a match made in Mendy. So at that time, I still didn't have an agent. <laughs> and then finally, I found an agent, and she's the one who sold Sister of the Bollywood Bride, and I, I love her, and she's with Stimola Studio. And uh, it's just amazing. Her name is Alison Remchek. I really love her. She's amazing. She is just a wonderful person. So I feel so supported as a writer now, which I never did before. But I was in the trenches, didn't have an agent for the longest time. And uh, it was rough because you need an advocate who can be your voice and look after your interest. Do you have any tips for others who are out there writing a book and hoping to get an agent and a publisher? It's hard, I know, but I think it helps to have an idea of where your manuscript will be a, a fit. Do your research. There's a lot of information out there. And if you have friends in publishing, you can get uh, word of mouth feedback from people about where your manuscript will be a fit. So if you are writing a picture book, don't submit it to an agent who only does like YA fantasy. Or if you're writing YA fantasy, don't send it to an agent who writes, I don't know, realistic middle grade. They always have these uh, wish lists. So that's really helpful. And now they have a lot of pitch events. You have the diverse pitch events, you have 
all kinds of different people looking for specific type of manuscripts. So, you know, tune in, follow the agents, see what you hear about them, and just do your research. And it is a hard process. Have patience. It takes time. <laughs> if you're lucky, it doesn't take time. If you're like me and you're trying for years, it does take time. But in the end, persevere. Just keep trying. So we have a thing here at the Manuscript Academy when a dog barks uh-huh. that somebody's getting an agent and neither of our dogs bark. Why don't you go throw toys for them? And- <laughs> <laughs> but do you have a giveaway? Okay. And I know that you have a new furry creature. Yes. And so we'd like to give away three copies of your amazing book. Um, so if you are the first person to email us, do you want to tell us what the keyword is? Okay. The keyword is the name of my 10 month old white German shepherd who we just rescued. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, we've had him for three weeks and his name is Bear. Okay, so send us an email with bear in the subject line. We will know what that means. Not too many bears email- emailing us most of the time. But, and the first three people will get a wonderful, happy, uplifting, beautiful book. In I just mail. have to tell you something really quick about bear. Have you guys read this book? It's The Downstairs Girl by Stacey Lee. No, but it's a beautiful cover. Isn't it beautiful? Now look, it's been chewed. But there is a dog in this book whose name is Bear. Aww. And it the book is set in Atlanta, Georgia, where my bear is from. Aww. And he did not chew anything in the house, but he chewed this book, which I think is funny. Oh, he can read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. This was so lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And where can we find you online? You can find me on my website, which is nandinibajpai.com. And that's N-A-N-D-I-N-I-B-A-J-P-A-I.com. Or you can find me uh, on Twitter at Nandini Bajpai or on Instagram at Nandini RB. Yay. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for having me. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.